Thanks for tuning in to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 62. Hello, Literary Alchemists. I'm Moses Irigar. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. Each and every week on the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we take a not-yet-fully-baked story idea and help the author turn it into literary gold. Literary gold, indeed. Ha <laughs> uh, Moses, I am so delighted to have you back in the co-host chair, my friend. Uh, uh, this this is going to be a fabulous, fabulous workshop. I believe it. I do. Too. I had too much. I had too much fun last time. So you know, pardon me if I just sort of bounce off my microphone a little bit. No, it's all good. And and you know, seeing you out the, outside my door saying "We'll podcast for food," that cute right. sign you had, right. that was awesome. And you know, it touched me. It touched me in a, in a deep and personal way. So so you're back. Yeah, I I, uh, I paid homeless people to make the sign. By the way, <laughs> there was an air of authenticity to it that I. Uh, no, let's not go there. Let's just no, not go Ro- there. Robin Robin Williams actually. Did you see that about him? That he used to when he would sign on to a movie, he would he wouldn't sign on unless uh, they would hire a certain number of homeless people to work on the set. So. Really? Yeah, that was a very cool uh, story that came out about him. That actually doesn't surprise me about him. That dude was badass six ways from Tuesday. And speaking of badass six ways from Tuesday, let's invite our guest host back, shall we, sir? Amen. I quite agree, yes. Uh, Dear friends, returning from his fabulous 20 minutes with last week, please welcome back to the big chair at the round table, the editor-in-chief of Ragnarok Publications, Tim Markwitz. Tim, thank you, sir, for making the time to come back and, oh, to workshop a deliciously dark tale. We really appreciate it, bud. No problem. Glad to be here. (laughs) Seems like we just did this, you know? I know. It's just like, bam! It's like no time at all has passed. Shh, don't, 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 don't give, don't give away the podcast magic. It's it's all good. (laughs) Um, Tim, I, I, before we dive into this, I, I have been so impressed and and amazed at the awesomeness, not only coming from Ragnarok, and that is a, a veritable buffet of fabulosity, but also from your own desk. So I, I'd like to take just a couple of minutes, and if you would, let our listeners know what's coming up for, for you, for Ragnarok, for, for anything that you want to stump right now and put out there in the world. Now's your chance, sir. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, right now, uh, the biggest thing on my plate is is the Blackguards Kickstarter uh, anthology that we're doing for Ragnarok. Um, we've been doing a Kickstarter there for uh, what six, seven days now, and it's it's well over goal. And we're looking to see if we can get some more folks in there. Um, we just signed on uh, Paul Kemp. Oh, damn! To come in as a uh, stretch goal author. Oh, that's awesome, dude! Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. He should come in if we hit twenty thousand. We're at eighteen six, so it's it's almost a guarantee. And we've been talking to another author. Um, I can't reveal any names right now, but uh, if we go further along, we'll we'll add some more folks. But also looking at when we hit uh, twenty two thousand, we're looking at opening up the the slush actually for one to two stories from from anybody oh wow oh that's you know that's fabulous and what's that what's that stretch marker it is uh twenty two thousand twenty two grand god we can totally do that we've already done 18 what eighteen three? 
18 5 at this point or 18 6 something to that effect just a few days holy crap opening up the slush gates that's huge guy yeah and it's going to be for a very short amount of time we're going to do one to two stories you know we're not going to go crazy on it mm-hmm. but it's it's an opportunity for an author who can come up and 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 get paid pro rates and sit alongside Mark Lawrence and Carol Berg yeah. and Leon Hearn and and, and all the other fantastic authors that we have in the book. That's huge. That is huge. Very cool. And very keeping with the Ragnarok vibe, I might add. You know, we're trying. We, you know, we, we want to do something different. And, and we feel that this is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so is, is uh, Rogues, Assassins, Mercenaries, is that the theme? It is. It is. Cool. It was originally that. called Rogue. But, you know, due to a, uh, a conflict, we had to change that. <laughs> <laughs> and there's wild speculation as to who, who, who came first, the chicken or the egg, on that particular scale. <laughs> yeah, regardless, the egg got squashed. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. That's right. It doesn't matter. That's why we went with blackguards. Blackguards. <laughs> we had to change it. It didn't matter. <laughs> Which is a cool name anyway, Blackguard. Oh, my God. That has got that just rolls off the tongue. We thought it worked out pretty well. <laughs> Absolutely. So what else is coming down the pike? I know you've got uh, uh, more books coming out, both both for yourself and for Ragnarok. Well, Ragnarok, you know, we're always busy. Um, we've got uh, next month, or oh, it's already September. Um, yeah, this baby. month, next week, as a matter of fact, we have uh, Armand Rosamia's Chelsea Avenue which comes out kind of supernatural horror. Uh, a couple weeks after that, we have Kenny Soward with, um, with the re-release of Rough Magic. Um, basically, he has the, we've redone the whole package. The author, or the artist, excuse me, is the same artist that, uh, that did the Blaggards uh, books. Oh, He's going to be doing his art nice. through, through the entire uh, trilogy. Uh, and it's amazing. It's amazing stuff. Outstanding. Outstanding. And, as for myself, um, outside of being in Blackguards, which, which is kind of weird, you know, with me being in Ragnarok, but I was invited to be a part of this before Ragnarok was even remotely involved in it. Wow! You know, Roger Bellini uh, invited me to to take part in that, and then circumstances ended up that we ended up getting the book produce it so um rather than me editing anything on it i've stepped away and they kept my story in it <laughs> that's kind of cool now friends just just to put things in context they, they cut the ribbon and, and opened the doors at ragnarok in july of 2013 is that right tim yes so uh, august give or take yeah, yeah they're about wow. somewhere in that holy cow holy so cow. this so this project has been in the works long enough that that ragnarok didn't exist while, yeah, while you were still yeah. working on it so yeah that's, well, that, what I yeah, what I was holy cowing about is how much cool stuff Ragnarok has done in about a year. God, yeah. no kidding. <laughs> you know, no when, kidding. When Joe and I sat down, uh, we originally were talking. I brought up the idea. Him and I were going back and forth. Um, we were looking at putting out two to three books a year. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And now we're putting out two to three books a month. Yeah. It's like. Uh, wait, well, hold on. <laughs> Let's slow down a little bit here. What are we doing? Now, how did, you know, how, how did that happen, Tim? I mean, you, you had a plan. What, what happened? You know, the, what happened is opportunity knocked. When it came down to the connections that, that all of us had and the opportunities that were being given to us because of this, it, it really opened up the door to books we might not have had otherwise. So we had so many people bringing books to us. And 
they were books we couldn't say no to. <laughs> they were really good books. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and and these were named authors, you know, who write quality, who write amazingly, who tell fantastic stories. You know, Mercedes Yardley. Yeah. Um, we couldn't tell her no. You know, and she signed three books right off the bat. Uh, she has another one coming out, a limited uh, hardcover, actually, this at the near the end of the month. Pretty Little Dead Girls, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, baby. You know, and, and then we started getting all these other stories. And uh, how do you say no to this stuff? You can't. You clearly don't. You hire more staff is what you do. And that's exactly what we did. You know, and we're, we're still struggling to get to that point where we have a good balance going, you know, but... You know, we've got Shane Berryhill, we've got Kenny Sword, we've got Django you know, Wexler. Exactly. And we, you know, Seth Skorkowski, you know, his book did amazing. These are books that, that all deserve a chance to get out there, but they're all a little different. Well, and it must be really rewarding for you to be in a position to actually champion those awesome books and get them out in the world. It is very much so, but it, it, it's also frustrating because we're still a small press. We are still limited. Uh, you know, we're looking for distribution. We're looking to do these other angles, but we're not at that point yet. So we see some of these books that could have done better had they gone, you know, the agent and traditional route. Um, but at the same time, we stand behind them and we, we give them that quality regardless well tim i'll tell you you know as much as i respect and admire that that desire on your part to to have these have done better i've got i'm rubbing my little fingers together just just your my heart's breaking for you for the horrible horrible hardships <laughs> you're enduring with all these fabulous books and great authors dude no hardships at all no hard i didn't mean it for, <laughs> for it to come across like that i just meant you know that 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 maybe these authors could have done better for themselves had sure. they gone another route sure. I hear you know you. what i mean we we feel every loss you know i hear you i hear you well and you know Time will tell. And I think time, look, looking ahead as I don my prophet's robes, I see a bright and glorious future for Tim Markowitz, Joe Martin, and the entire Ragnarok flagship of doom. <laughs> well, we certainly <laughs> hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, gentlemen, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to put on the brakes for this awesome conversation because there's somebody waiting in the wings, chomping at the bit to get into some brainstorming goodness. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pause. I'm going to I'm gonna run a promo for uh, another awesome podcast or, or perhaps an ebook. And you know, Tim, if you've got some audio promos for Ragnarok books, throw them my way and I'll, I'll run them. We do not. Uh, we will We will see what we can do for you. You need to fix that, dude. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, we're going to run that, and then when we come back, we're going to workshop a story. Sound good, gentlemen? Sounds great. I like it, too. I'm down with it. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Flashbulb Podcast. Three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice weekly. From cosmic horrors to fisticuffs, fast cars and smart mouths, we've got a chill for every spine. Find it all at flashpulp.com or search for it on iTunes. <laughs> Thank you. 
Welcome back, dear friends, to the Roundtable Podcast. And now we get down to the, to the gritty, gritty edge, the, the, the dark and grim repast that is the Roundtable Podcast, the Story Workshop. And that does not happen without a bold and courageous, our creative and courageous guest writers who stride forth clad in dark armor, their axes dripping gore, uh, a nascent story idea in their hand. Uh, and and Moses, I got to say, I ran into our, our guest writer uh, while I was enjoying his his blog and Facebook group titled Grimdark Fiction Readers and Writers. And I was struck by the passion and the enthusiasm he invested in this group, highlighting grimdark authors, books, publishing, writing, art, all kinds of things, all things grimdark can be found here. It's fabulous. Now, he's a media producer in Salem, Oregon, a husband and a proud father of five children, and yet he finds time to indulge his addiction for art, metal music, guitar, drums, blogging, audio production, music movies, podcasts, gaming, and, of course, writing genre fiction. He's been writing commercial copy for over 10 years now, and now he's turning his writerly gifts to his own tales. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, Mr. Rob Matheny. Rob, <sighs> the crowd goes wild. It's never easy to bring your baby forward for discussion, especially with this motley crew. So I, I deeply appreciate you stepping up and joining the round table, man. Thank you. Oh, I'm glad to be on the show, man. Just a pleasure to hang out with not only Moses Aragar, but also Dave Robinson and <laughs> Tim Markwitz. I mean, Dude, I'm all set. It's 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 a rare opportunity. I don't know how good it is, but it's rare. <laughs> it's rare. <laughs> no, it don't get better than that. Uh, you're a good man. You're a good man. Your, your check is in the mail. Um, it's going to leave awesome. a stain. <laughs> <laughs> it is. We'll, we'll clean it up afterwards. All right, Rob, here's how this works, man. We give you five to eight minutes. Uh, uh, give us the the title, the the format of the story. Is a short story, novella, novel, series of novels, whatever. Uh, give us an idea of who your audience is. Tell us about the world, the characters, the theme. Uh, give us some some key store tent poles to the story arc, uh, uh, and we'll dive in from there. I'm going to get out of the way, dude. The mic is all yours. All right, thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. Um, so I'm uh, doing something a little bit different than uh, what's usually been done on the ro- on the round table here before. Is that I'm shooting to do maybe a short story, um, or maybe a novella, something on the shorter end versus a seven novel series <laughs> set to go three decades down the future. Uh, so I want to keep this short. So it's it's a short story called "The Wastes of Underbreach," um, and it's a grim, dark, dark fantasy short story. Uh, The hook of the story is this, a stubborn and prideful king bent on victory at all costs is finally deposed of his kingdom by a devastating invasion force of merciless warriors. And although he is spared the sentence of death, he is transformed into something much darker. Uh, The theme of the story is you reap what you sow and the consequences of foolish pride through the king's arrogance and inability to surrender his kingdom. My goal is to make this a dark and tragic tale of conquest, both in the material, physical world and in the mind of the full-hearted and prideful king. Uh, The story takes place on a planet that is not planet Earth, but it is an Earth-like planet, um, and it's primarily a medieval fantasy setting. Uh, This is a large world full of wonder, magic, and mystery. Uh, The continent to the north, commonly known as Asiari, uh, is a vast landmass with multiple villages, cities, and kingdoms. Uh, The world has no moon, 
uh, but has some large stars dominating the, the night sky. To the south, there's a hyperactive, continuous jet stream bisecting the southern hemisphere uh, that creates perilous weather and ocean currents, making traveling through it impossible, known commonly as the Rift. Uh, characters. Uh, the protagonist of the story is named Kir Sirak, or Sirak. I'm trying to figure that out so far. Uh, it, he is the king of the city known as Dagmer's Lance. Uh, it's an ancient kingdom that his family has ruled over for hundreds of years. Uh, through the events in the story, King Sirak is transformed. Ugolaseric, King Sirak, is transformed <laughs> from a benevolent ruler who has the world at his fingertips into a cowardly kinslayer who is left with nothing. Some of the supporting characters for the king is his wife, Queen Thyra, who only flames the king's pride. Uh, also, there's his commander of the guard, Galvin Ulf who advises the king to evacuate and retreat. And lastly, Eldar Ganon, a priest and spiritual advisor who looks to the stars for divine direction. The antagonist is the invading army from the south called the Wastes of Underbreach, and their leader, his name is Mofrates. Now, Mofrates is immortal, he is telepathic, and he's seen by all of his fathers pretty much as a god. Now, this force is an overwhelming foe. Uh, they're bigger, stronger, and more advanced than anything anyone has ever seen. Uh, the warriors stand between 6 to 10 feet tall. They have exquisite armor and weaponry, and they ride mounted beasts like horses, only twisted with evil, with hulking black-scaled bodies. Now, the backdrop tapestry to the story is, um, it's a backstory, um, involving Mephrates and his army. Now, they were imprisoned uh, below the rift a few thousand years ago by the great sorcerer Ulamdar, uh, following a great war uh, that nearly destroyed the world. In his quest for power, Mephrates began to temper with the very fabric of reality by manipulating men and beasts, even finding the secret to immortality. Uh, after the war, Mephrates was defeated, and he and his armies were exiled to the frigid and desolate lands to the south and sealed in by the rift. But Mephrates found a way to escape, and he plans to unleash a new evil on a world that has long forgotten his name. And that brings us to the central story of what the short story I'm thinking is about right now. Uh, the central story chronicles the invasion of Ossiari by the Wastes of Underbreach, led by Mephrates. Ossiari has been at peace for hundreds of years. The practice of war has been relegated to ancient texts. Uh, part one, we see the fall of the coastal city known as Amari's Whisper. Uh, the siege is fast and deadly as the invading force makes landfall on large silver ships with flowing black sails. And like fish in a barrel, the city is taken and all who try to flee are struck down and killed. And then that takes us to part two. Um, after a few months, uh, five, six, seven major cities have fallen and factual reports are sketchy due to the fact that scouts rarely make it back alive and the few reports from survivors fleeing the invasion have lacked much detail. Trade routes have been cut off, smoke billows from the south, and the people of Dagmar's lance are scared. They can see the writing on the wall, they can see the impending doom, and they begin to evacuate. Uh, King Sarek mobilizes an army from neighboring cities to establish a line of defense and begins training them uh, with the aid of Captain Ulf. Uh, next, a small retinue of soldiers and an uh, emissary set north to seek to parley with the king. On sight, the small band of soldiers look terrifying, sitting on their black steeds. The emissary 
uh, goes by the name of Jerem, a man of regular stature with uh, gray eyes, pale white skin, and long flowing white hair. And this is actually uh, Mephrates in disguise, so to speak. They don't know that it's actually the god of, the, of this invading army. Uh, the king is offered a chance to surrender, but he will not see his family's dynasty brought to nothing. After some counsel, he finally refuses the offer, insisting that war is the only answer. And as the emissary leaves, he promises the king's folly will only spell certain doom. And then we conclude the story uh, with the climax. Um, it takes place deep within the walls of the lands, uh, a towering castle and ancient stronghold of House Sarak. Uh, the line of defense has been crushed and broken, and the city uh, has been taken and sacked, uh, waiting with a few guards. And the priest, Elder Ganon, uh, a force of soldiers, finally breaks in. They slay the guards and take Ganon and King Serac uh, as prisoner. Uh, they are brought before Mephrates, who they finally discover was actually Jerem the Emissary. So a little twist. Um, at this point, Mephrates reveals his ability to read minds when he asks the king what happened to his family. The king replies they were sent away, but Mephrates knows the truth, that Serac poisoned his family during a sack on the city. Finally, Mephrates does something far worse than killing the king. He instead bestows Serac with the gift of immortality and issues a new task to chronicle the eternal reign of Mephrates, and his first task is to catalog the execution of the priest, Elder Ganon. So, in essence, Serac must not only write down the details of the conquest of his enemy, but live forever with the guilt and shame of knowing that he's a kid slayer. Uh, the big reveal twist at the end of the story is that the king decided to poison his entire family instead of flee, almost like a form of a uh, seppuku or Harry Carey or ritual suicide. Um, another overarching theme is the cost of forgetting history. In an effort to create peace, when Mephrates was sealed into exile, uh, much of what was written about the events were destroyed in an effort to erase the memory of his evil. In doing so, the world prospered toward peace, but at the price of forgetting what evil looked like, leaving them utterly prepared when Mephrates returned. And as the old adage goes, the path to hell was laid with good intentions. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so that's my main uh, pitch, and what I would like to get from the workshop experience uh, would be to get help tightening up the plot, uh, finding a satisfying reason for Mephrates escaping the rift, uh, being able to foreshadow the king's decision to poison his family, uh, flushing out the world with a bit more uh, details, establishing the best POV for the story, because POV, I think, is going to be key for making this a good story, I think. Um, eliminating plot holes and flushing out the characters a little bit more and creating a little more believability. Outstanding. Great pitch. Well done, sir. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Well, now, before we get into this, uh, and believe me, we will. We, we need to give you our standard roundtable podcast disclaimer. Moses, would you be so kind, good sir? Here's the thing, Rob. You are about to be just flooded with lots and lots and lots <laughs> of ideas from us. And, uh, you know, everything that you hear from us, for all, for all we know, might be just complete and utter bullshit. I mean, it, comes, <laughs> it, it could come out of me. It could come out of Dave. It could come out of even Tim. I mean, you've got to just be aware of that and just know that this is your story to write. Only you can decide what is best for it. You take what you like, you trash the rest, and you keep moving forward, and we're glad to help you. 
So, I like it. All right. Awesome. Very good. Then let's get into this. We usually start with a quick uh, once around the table, uh, uh, just some quick overall impressions and any questions of clarification uh, uh, that we need to, to really dive into this. So we'll start off with our guest host, uh, Tim Markwitz. Uh, what was your overall impression of Rob's pitch? And did you have anything you wanted cleared up before we dive into this? No, I don't have anything that needs to be cleared up. Um, I thought it was very interesting. Um, it's, it's good foundation and the, the, the rough edges that I see are obviously what we're going to be going through and cleaning up and, and offering him suggestions on. So I'm, I'm good to go. Cool. Awesome. Moses. Um, so yeah, general thoughts here. I, uh, I'm very impressed. Um, I can tell you're a very good, uh, plot writer. I could, I could believe that you could probably outline, you, you know, a story as big as you want to outline. Uh, I think you have a good innate sense for, uh, conflict, you know, creating conflict. Uh, I already see seeds of really interesting characters in just this brief description. Um, so I, I'm very impressed with, you know, your start here. And uh, it's going to be neat to dig in a little bit more. Yep, absolutely. I agree. Um, I, I got to agree. This is this is fraught with, with grimdark goodness uh, uh, on many levels. I especially like the twist at the end where instead of destroying his foe, uh, uh, he curses him with immortality to chronicle. I mean, that's that's just grinding salt into the wound. It's awesome, uh, absolutely uh, delicious and tasty. Um, one question I had is: is you mentioned early on we we, we learned about uh, Asiari, we learned about the rift. You also mentioned that there's no moon and there's lots of stars, and I didn't hear anything in the story that particularly referenced that fact. Did I miss something, or what am I missing there? Um, no, there hasn't been really anything um, to communicate what's going on with the, the sky view as far as the story goes. Um, one way to intersect it would be with uh, Elder Ganon. Uh, basically, their religion is based in the stars, and they see things in the stars. So I think I could definitely use that as an element for maybe developing developing some soothsaying or something mm, like that by okay. seeing visions in the stars of this um, impending doom that's coming to the city, uh, maybe something like that. I was thinking that, you know, maybe there was a moon at some point and Mofrates, uh in his ascendancy actually pulled the thing down. I love that. And, and you know, that would, that would just affirm his awesome power as he strides forward. For sure. All right. Very cool. So um, with with first round out of the way, that may have been the quickest first round of comments ever in the history of the Roundtable podcast. Let's dive into this bad boy. Uh, Tim, you, you, you saw some rough patches and things. Let's talk about some of those. What what do you want to zero in on first? Uh, uh, first off, let me let me make my own disclaimer. You know, um, I, I'm. I'm probably too blunt and too direct for most folks. I just want to make sure you understand, Rob, that I I focus on the things that need to be fixed because the rest of it doesn't need it. So I focus on those things specifically. So I don't want you to think I'm coming off as negative. These are just things that I think personally that I, I feel need to be a little stronger. And so those are what I'm going to focus on as opposed to all the good stuff. So, you know, we just want to make sure you don't take it the wrong way. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm uh, honored to have you take a poke at this thing, and I'm more than open to getting your feedback on it. It'll be a pleasure. I appreciate it. Um, the biggest thing that I see, um, I, I wrote some notes having gotten this a little bit ahead of time. Um, motivation of a certain couple of characters, specifically the king. I, I don't understand why he's killing his family. 
it's he's going against a uh, a man who's going to obliterate them, who's going to kill them all. I understand it, there has to be. I feel a super strong motivation for why he would sacrifice his family. You know, when he's ultimately going to lose the place anyways, or or you know, it, there's that vibe that he's going to lose the kingdom anyways. Um, I think it's going to be based on a deep sense of pride that he would rather um, sacrifice his family, you know, kind of put him down as like a mercy killing um, sort of aspect instead of letting his enemy take them prisoner and do what they will. But if, okay. that's, if that's the case, Rob, then he did an honorable thing. So why feel shame about that? Um, that that could be another twist on the story too. I'm I'm not married to everything in the story for sure, and I'm more than more than open to uh, twisting things around okay. to make it even more impactful. Absolutely. My thoughts on that. My thoughts on that is, you know, you have you have Elder Gannon in there, the priest. Um, you don't really have a role for him based on what you've what you've stated. I was thinking um, that maybe he, in his wisdom, whatever it is. Um, maybe foresees some aspect where that sacrifice, that sacrifice of his family might offer the king victory oh. as opposed to just, you know, shame. Oh. It's, you know, it's, it's how, how much do you really want to save this kingdom? Are you willing to sacrifice your family to do it? Oh, dude, 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 dude. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Yes. Um, uh, make, make here, uh, uh, focused on dynasty. You know, I mean, he's like the 12th king uh, of, a, of a long and proud reign, and his reign is going to be glorious and magnificent. And, and the, uh, 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 you know, have Elder Gannon, you know, you, you meant, God, sorry, I'm going to riff just a little bit here, and then I'll let everybody sure. get back into it. Uh, uh, have Elder Gannon tease some of the, 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 the uh, lore that, that Mofrates used to create immortality mm. and offer that to Kier. And say, here is your victory, my king. All we need to do is kill your the blood of your kin will make you immortal. And that fits in very good with Mofrates, what what uh, what Rob has laid out for Mofrates already. Exactly. You get at this dark mirror going. And and have Queen Queen Tira be pregnant. Ooh. Have her be pregnant with his heir, and now he has to choose between immortality for himself or the legacy of his bloodline. And and give them an escape route. Give them a, a, a surefire, there's a tunnel that leads to the mountains that will get them the fuck out of here and everything will be fine. Uh, uh, or I can kill you all and secure immortality for myself and have him make that dark choice. So I, I have a question at this point. This is, do you want this to be, to be just a short story? Is it the beginning of, you know, a ten book opus, or um, and then and then in this story, are we only in the king's point of view? How many point of views are we in? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to establish. I'd like to get some good, consistent POVs to um, uh, tell the story. I think at least the king's POV would be a good one, and uh, I'm not sure where to go from there. Um, Actually, I was kind of thinking that that Captain Ulf, if we if we elevate him to a chief advisor, and mm-hmm. and let him observe from the outside in what's going on and, and maybe even <laughs> we could even make him having an affair with queen tyra Ooh, uh, okay. on the side uh uh you know just to just to add that that saucy bit of of passion to it uh uh you know, that that might be a cool perspective just just tossing that on the table carry on moses i'm sorry you you'd mentioned the, the length of the story too uh it, it can go as long as it as it needs to i was i was thinking about getting a short story length um to, to just keep it short and 
and sweet, but if it grows longer, then they can definitely go there. So it sounds like it's at least a novella to me. I don't know how you guys feel about it. It depends. I, I, I think it depends on, on how much how much world building is necessary to tell the tale. I mean I mean ultimately what we've got here, I mean this this literally could be compressed into the final scene. Uh, everything that and and guys feel free to stomp all over this if I'm spouting bullshit. Uh, uh, but that that opening scene and the, the the part two with the seven months later and the emissaries, that doesn't need to be there. This this could this whole story could be the crushed empire and the final moments of a king you know and you could do flashbacks and little bits and snippets to 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 illustrate things but i think the whole thing could be compressed into that one scene i think that's where the real drama is i i agree with you i i I think a lot of the the world building aspects are are there and they're they're they would be good for a novella or longer but none of them with the exception of possibly the stars have any impact on on the story as I see it, which is the, the, the king's struggle, where he goes from here, what he does. Mm-hmm. And uh, regarding point of view, I, I, I personally think it should be from the king's point of view because you need to feel that emotional connection to this killing, to yeah. the sacrifice, to this, to what's going on. Good point. Outside of his point of view, um, without it being a novel, I, I think you lose that, that immediacy of it. Yep, I agree. I yeah, agree. so he, I, like it. I mean, if if you were to focus on just the king as a point of view character, um, I think it, it's it is very important. Like, do you want this story to continue, or is this the story, or do you want it open? I suppose. Um, I want to just create, you know, the the best dark tale that I can, and if it if it needs to be focused on just this this moment for this king, I think it might be stronger suited for a short story. Why do you ask, Moses? Well. Because this king is very interesting. Tim's comments are very interesting about what to do with the king. Uh, because, uh, you know, is this is this a character we're going to need to root for in a novel someday? Or is this a character we're going to need to hate in a novel someday? Or, you know what I mean? Like, where is he going? Because how you paint him here, um, you know, depending on where you want to go with him, it's going to depend on how you want to paint him here, I think. Well, it sounds um, like we're looking, at a, we're looking at a fairly self-contained story. That at the end, you know, he, he faces an eternity... Uh, as the chronicler of the one who crushes his existence. At the same time, though, this is kind of a prelude to to other things. That's, I believe, what Moses is getting to, mm-hmm. is the fact that, that while you have this story, this character's life begins at the end of it. His mm-hmm. new life begins at the end of it. Is that, so, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it kind of begs, okay, well, what comes next? Um, and I think depending on what you want to do with him in the future, is he going to be possibly the antagonist of a larger story or the hero of another story or who knows what? Um, I think, I think that that choice he makes and the reasons why he makes that choice to kill his family, uh, that has to very much be considered in light of where you want to see this guy going. Um, not that you can't have him be the worst guy ever and still have him be the protagonist of, you know, a bazillion books if you want to, but, um, it's harder. It's harder to have a really rotten, well, the, 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 gun, the you know. hero is a, is a, time-honored tradition you know look at thomas covenant but i mean yeah i mean it's true i mean it it can be done you know and it depends on whether you feel like you you want to write that kind of story you know do you feel like because it it it, it takes skill it takes quite a bit of skill to write a character that uh, we might despise for his decisions let me let me put this out there let me put this out there let's let's approach this just just for the at least the next 15 minutes or so 
like this is a closed story, like there is okay. nothing to come. Just to give us, to, to narrow our field a little bit, sure. and then look at what we've got and see if there is work that can be done to springboard into other works. Okay, so I, I think if that were the case, I, we've got we've got two big endpoints that we've looked at so far. One of them is that he kills his family because he's prideful and he doesn't want his enemies to capture his family, uh, and he would rather do it for that reason. And, you know, at that point, he's just kind of a, a jackass, right? I mean, he's just, I mean, I mean, depending on the on the scenario, but I mean, we might come away with that conclusion of like, wow, what a what a, I mean. Then again, the other way around, you know, you, you, you get to the same conclusion, but it's a little different. Like, if he kills them specifically because he gains power by killing them, um, it's, a different, it's a different ending, obviously. But and, he gains power to defend his people. He, you know, he, he, it's the, it's, and that's the wonderful thing about it is that what, what a horrible choice. I can save my people, and it turns out he can't, but I can save my people according to Elder Ganon, that shit uh, uh if i kill all of my family and assume this power so i can compete with mofratis on his level yeah no that no that that's almost like a more uh almost a sympathetic perhaps um reason like he's doing this for a really good reason if, at that point you know so that's I mean, why i said it was about motivation right like, what's the reason behind this yeah, and I think it's, it's, it is in the end what kind of story are you telling. You're telling a dark tale. You're telling a grim, dark tale. And I, I actually think it's, it's grim. It's more grim and more dark to have him you know, kill his family for the prideful reason than to get power. Because we can understand you know, a, a bloodthirsty guy who kills people to get power. That could be a potentially very compelling character. But in, at that point, I'm like, oh, well, that's why he killed them because he's selfish. He just wants uh, – it's a different kind of – it's a more easy-to-understand kind of selfishness. If you do it to gain something, I understand, okay, that's a selfish person who does things to benefit themselves. If you kill your family because you're prideful and you're just a piece of crap, you know what I mean? That's like that's like wow. I, I at that point I go man, my jaw wants to drop. Like I don't know. I, I think that could be played with either way. But I think it's it's one of those things that you have to think about is how do you want people to feel at the end of it, you know? And I don't know if you if you you know if that's still in process or if you could even say that right now. Yeah, what do you yeah, got? I'm thinking I'm thinking you know with with being cursed to witness your enemy conquer not only your kingdom but the world you've known to exist your whole life. And then to be subject to eternally witness this this army just take over um, is is pretty horrible punishment. You know, it's one of those things you wouldn't want to work, wish wish on your worst enemy. Um, and to bestow this this curse upon somebody, um, I'm trying to think of you know what's the best emotion that would go along with that. And it's uh, you know, and you bring up a good point. You know, is this something that I want to inflict on somebody uh, uh, who deserves it? Or on somebody who doesn't necessarily deserve it and has to suffer with the consequences for well, years and, to come. And you look at you look at classic tragedies like Medea, or or Oedipus, and you know these these people were flawed, but they didn't necessarily deserve the the horrific outcome that they were confronted with, and and that that elicits pity. Uh, on on the part of the reader, I think when they go, oh God, oh you poor guy, holy crap, and you end up, you know, sympathizing with him. Tim, what are your thoughts on the subject? Yeah, that, that that's exactly it. It 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 comes down to how you want to close out this character. Um, like Moses was saying, if you if you're going to use this character in some aspect down the road, I, I think you have to be a little more careful with how you present him here you know if he's if he's a low-life piece of shit you're going to run into problems later 
Right. You know, you, you have to overcome that. Um, Unless you want to redeem him in future books. Which is entirely possible as yeah, well. Or, or have him as, you know, full on a villain in another story. There you go. You know, for me, I feel as if he, he this would be his punishment after a certain amount of time. He would want to make things right. Um, giving what he's seen after the fact, but you know, that's, that's me. Yeah. See that, that would be, you know, compelling interest where there's some sympathy for a guy who royally screwed up. You know, that's, you know, does anything excite you, Rob, that you've heard when you think of where you want this guy to go? Do you have a feeling of like, Hmm, I want that, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm intrigued by the fact that he has to be, you know, eternally witnessing the, um, given this gift of immortality and witnessing the destruction of everything he's come to know is definitely, uh, um, interesting character for me at least but, but is that is that justice or is that punishment that is the direction we have to decide which way i want to go okay well yeah. do, do you have a do you have a, an inclination because that'll help us go from there um yeah well, I, want, I want to just get the darkest you know i want to squeeze whatever darkness i can from this uh just so people can go away you know uh glad they read a really so this is punishment story this is just desserts i think so I think so. That's kind of the initial direction I was going. Okay. All right. Yeah. If he has this thing where he's going to, you know, live, uh, be immortal and see all these horrible things that no one would want to see, um, then it's almost like, uh, well, it, it does work. I really think it comes down to how you write the character. I think you could, you could write that character extremely well and he could choose to kill his family in light of what's going on. And we could still, the, the, the point where I'm getting like a little bit uncomfortable is like, wait a minute, but then I can understand why he's doing too well. <laughs> you know, I can, uh, it's good for the, for the guy to have a reason to do what he's doing, obviously. If he has no reason to do what he's doing, he's just you know, one-dimensional, mar- cartoonish, kind of mustache kind of villain guy. Right. Okay. Um, so, you know, so it's good that there's some reason. But then again, if his reason is too good, I think Dave may have hinted at this earlier, uh, then all of a sudden it's like, well, I can understand why you did that. You know, you know what I mean? Then, see, and that's where I am. That's what that's what I like. I, I like that gray. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not quite the right. dark guy, but I, <laughs> but I can I can dabble in the dark. I'm down with the dark. Let's let's let let's let's take a look at the structure of the story. Assuming assuming as as Rob has expressed, he's looking for dark. Let let's just milk <laughs> the bloody dark from this thing every step of the way. One thing that struck me, Rob, uh, the opening scene. Uh, uh, I think the opening scene needs to have your protagonist in it. And as you described it, it was, you know, Mary's whisper is besieged by the dark forces. And in a, in a short story or a novella, even, I don't think you have the luxury of not having your POV character right there. Uh, so I'm wondering if maybe the structure of your story, I know I said, you know, you could do the whole thing in that last scene and I still think you could. Um, but if you wanted to stretch it out and really just illustrate what a prick this guy is, uh, uh, start with have, okay, here was the thought. How did Mofrates break out of the rift? Because King Serac broke him free inadvertently. He's down there in Mary's whisper and acting some ritual power that will draw from the rift and make his armies invincible. Uh, uh, and in doing so, uh, in his pride and arrogance, using and again, we're painting uh, Elder Ganon at this point as like this villain, as as a worm tongue who has been constantly misleading the king every step of the way. 
uh, and giving feeding him. Mo, in fact, God, maybe he's an agent of Mofrates. Yeah. Uh, 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 but has been feeding the king these little bits of power and getting him drunk on it. While so you've got one scene in in Mary's Whisper where the king does this thing, and suddenly this dark, cold wind blows across the ocean and storm clouds grow. Oh crap! Uh, and then have this you know falling back back to. Uh, uh, what is it, Dagmar? Dagmar's lance, uh, and each step of the way, have him engage with his wife, with the advisor, with Elder Ganon, and in these scenes, be become more and more and more of a prick, making more and more crass, cruel, vicious choices. Until by the time he gets back to Dagmar's lance, he's practically deranged, and and the people are are, are in revolt against him. That that's my riff. I'm I'm stepping back Ooh. now. I like that. That's some darkness. <laughs> that is, yeah. See, I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> Tim, what do you think, man? The, the counterpoint to that is what I was thinking is if you know if you're going to have this character, if something's going on, you want to play off the 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 riff of of history repeating itself. Um, the idea that they're going and erasing all this information and wiping everything out that the means and the cause the the things that held Mofrates in have been lost you know so so that this is this is a subsequent failure of of rewriting history that they're doomed to repeat it because they didn't sit down and and warred against this evil that they didn't sit down and and take the past lessons and learn them they they wiped them out and said you know what screw it we don't need any of this in doing so they failed to hold him in somehow, some ritual, some procedure, mm-hmm. something that needed to be done that kept that rift closed, closed, you know, yeah, um, some honoring has, ritual has failed. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's cool and, because then you could have like, you know, the reason that they blotted this out was because, you know, Ulam Dar and the king of the time were were cruel wicked evil people they needed to be to beat mephrates and you know Sarek is trying to erase you know the, the, all of the generations have tried to erase that dark part of their past and just forget about it and hide it so we have this golden age so it's kind of like kind of like erasing the holocaust uh, uh and and the effect that would have on culture so Yes. I, I want to I offer an alternative to that depending on if how long you want the story to be I think this is everything that uh, uh, that Dave and Tim just said I, I totally agree with as a good way to explain all of that and work with all that and milk it um, another alternative if this is a very short story and you don't want to go into a whole lot of that is you already have a priest who looks to the stars he he may be able to explain why the rift open it and it may be based on their astrology it may be that you know he's been telling people for decades that when these when this configuration happens in the heavens he knows the rift is going to open and no one listens to him or it was it was just time <laughs> you know you know and it's like oh you know it depends on how much time you want to spend on the backstory because mm-hmm. that you sure. could you could use a, that and, and do something cool with it where you could handle it in a paragraph you know i mean it, or it could be you know uh, but there would need to be i mean that that kind of takes agency away from the protagonist if if you know it's just time he's coming uh, uh, well was it his fault that he escapes from the rift in the other version though i mean either way mephrates is getting he's escaping not because of the king unless i'm mistaken well the, the possibility well, that was that was dave's idea you know but it, okay. based on what we have here there there is no specific reason for it right and you know there doesn't have to be you know you're absolutely right 
uh, uh, I'm just thinking with with a short story. If it's short, right. like you might not you right. might not want to you might not want to have that whole story. You know, like um, the you know. Well, that's could, not so much the focus. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I mean that's why there's this conservation here where we've already got the priest who reads stars, and so you could easily do something cool with that. You could come up with a cool reason that that is the reason. You know, it it, it gives that character something else to do. It fleshes out a little bit of the the astronomy or the astrology of the world. Yeah, I think that I think uh, it's always a good reason if it's instead of just because if we can get a, a good story related reason for the rift breaking down um would always be best i think serving the story instead of just because that's yeah, my and, own personal take and uh, last thing on the the kind of the astrology angle is that you know it's um it becomes a symbol of of change. That change is 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 the only constant and that kind of thing, you know, that um it, it's you know, it's one way to look at that. Yep. Yeah, I like it, the direction you're going with that too, Moses. That's some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it's literally just another brainstorm. We're just throwing crap against the wall. Hopefully some of it's gonna stick. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and I'm looking at you know, you've got this nice tight cast of you've got Kier, you've got Queen Tyr, you've got Captain Ulf and and Elder Ganon. And and you know, it with Kier as your primary protagonist, then each of those individuals, including Mephrates, uh, uh, and again, I might be I might be overthinking this. I have been known to do that. Um, but having each of those characters uh, embody an issue or or an aspect of Sarek's either strength or weakness or or his ultimate downfall downfall. Uh, uh, if 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 each of them, I mean, even Mofrates when he comes as an emissary, he he gives Sarek a chance. You know, and if and and Sarek spits in his face, if if Queen Tira can give him a chance of some kind, some some sort of redemption, maybe not saving the kingdom, but just saving his soul, and he spits in her face. Captain Ulf comes up with a with a brilliant tactic that 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 could buy them some time, and he sees it as a sign of weakness and spits in his face. You know, if if if, if you know. Four times he's given the opportunity to to redeem some fragment of his soul, uh, uh, and he turns it away. Then at the end, he's stripped bare, and and now you've got the tragedy. Now it's like, holy crap! I had so many opportunities uh, uh, to save some shred of my of 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 my honor, my dignity, my life, and it's all gone. I think that feeds into uh, another question I had about Mofredi's motivation. Yeah, you know, here's a guy who who knows he can just you know walk through everybody. Why doesn't he? You know That's that right point. there yeah. gives gives the, the the king gives the story a, a kind of reasoning that isn't necessarily there. It's like here's this giant um, godlike being who's just going to walk through everything. Um, obviously, the king doesn't have the ability to stop him, so. So why doesn't he walk through? Why does he come as another person? Why does he play this game? What is he looking for? Well, yeah, ex- yeah, that's an excellent point. What is the motivation of Mephrates? And my first instinctual answer is kind of the uh, neighborhood kid on Toy Story who has this um, uh, desire to torture his little toys and uh, to do evil things with them. I'm thinking is the kind of the initial... Uh, perspective that he has that he's just kind of this twisted person who bends reality and twists men and beasts and his desire is just to to do as much damage and mess with people mentally as much as he can so that's my initial reaction so i i have a question um have you thought about what redeeming qualities the king might or might not have because no, not if, 
Because I think if you write him, uh, I think he will be kind of one note or more, more one note than you want him to be if mm -hmm. he doesn't have something that we can look at him and go, oh, well, at least he likes his daughter or something like that. Actually, right. Moses, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, let's, let's table that for just a second because I'd really like to dig into Mofredi's motivation. I, we, okay. we, we've really riffed on the king and we've gotten some good attention on him, but I think Tim has raised a valid point here that yeah. the, the antagonist needs some attention. And yeah, I, I think, it, I think it, 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 it depends on what kind of story you want this to be. If it's mostly the story of the king, I don't think you have to do that, right? But if you want true, it to be... True. If you want it to be a story where, you know, uh, Mofredes and the king both become quite interesting characters, then you definitely want to have a reason for Mofredes to be doing what he's doing. But it, it may be that you just want to focus on the king. And maybe that's what you want if it's a shorter story. I think, you know, it gets into novelette or novella, perhaps. Uh, you know, the more characters, obviously, you add, where they're going to have a certain arc and a certain mystery to them, um, then the story gets bigger. Nothing wrong with that either, depending on how long the story uh, is going to be. Yeah. Tim, what do you think? I agree with Moses on that. You know, if if these are both cogs in 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 this machine, um, it it changes how the interaction goes. You know, if you're if you're going to get into Mofredi's motivation, and it isn't just about the king anymore, so as such, you you are most likely going to expand your story because you have to get both sides of this, otherwise it won't come together the same way. Yeah. I can yeah, see that. I'm not sure there's even going to be a successful way to get to flush out the motivation of both these characters within the confines of a short story. Well, I don't I'm, think I'm thinking uh, there, there yeah. absolutely is uh, dialogue. Yeah. You know what what goes on between these two characters when they meet that first time? That right there is is your open door to how how the interaction is going to be what the motivations are behind these characters. It may be veiled. It may not be as clear as, as you know, hey, I'm this guy and this is what I want to do. But, you know, that the conversation between them standing there on the precipice, that right there is, is your open door to get the motivation for both sides. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm loving what Tim's saying right now because the way you have the story set up, that, you know, Mafredis comes in disguise the first time, right? So you can have him say things when he's in his disguised when he's disguised um say things that you know he would say when the king doesn't know who he really is but he would maybe maybe he would test the king and say oh you know do you remember when you harmed this person blah 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 <laughs> you know maybe maybe the sure. king did something bad to mofredi's you know long lost dog or something you know who knows but <laughs> but uh you know maybe you know maybe mofredi maybe we start to get these really neat hooks right because in a story, you want to put as many good hooks in the story as you can. And if we hear that emissary, that disguised emissary's dialogue, and we hear that there's this hint of mystery of, oh, wait a minute, what did happen in the past? Oh, why does this guy say this? And, oh, wait a minute, that's a neat twist. What, what's going on in his head right there? It gives you a way to really fuck with the reader in a great way right there uh, and, and create this contrast. Um, and that, that is a, a fantastic technique, you know, to give contrast to your king is, you know, is that Mofredes is fucked up and the king is fucked up and they're both having this very fucked up conversation. <laughs> Who's more fucked up? <laughs> Who's more fucked up? <laughs> it's a fucked up contest. Everybody's swinging their fucked up all over the place. Let me, let me, let me throw this Careful, down. that stuff sticks. <laughs> and it stains. Oh my God. Um, let me, let me throw this out, Rob, and then, then we'll, we'll move towards the wrap up. Um, what if, uh, back in the day when Mufratis was gathering his power, brought down the moon and achieved immortality, all of this stuff, what if he was a good guy? 
What if he was, what if the kingdom that Sarek is, is the king of and, and, you know, Olam Dar, the, the wizard who imprisoned him. What if those guys really were bastards? And and uh, 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 was uh, gathering power to crush them because they were a blight on humanity. Mm. And in his centuries beyond the rift, and who knows what dark, twisted horror uh, was unleashed on him. You know, I'm thinking Pinhead. I'm thinking Hellblazer. I'm thinking you know a, a, a dark maelstrom of horror that took this ultimately noble being, Mofrates. And, and transforms him into this dark angel of vengeance. And he doesn't want to destroy the world. He just really, really wants to destroy Sarek. And when, when he, you know, if we, if we go with the uh, uh, Sarek, you know, neglects a ritual or something that allows the rift to, to weaken, then have this moment where, where Jerem you know, Mofak Mo, uh, in, in disguise appears right then and there. And says, you have unleashed darkness on the world. And and you can have him be like this prophet character that 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 constantly whispers in, in Kir Sarek's ear, goading him, hunting him, taunting him, until the very end when Sirak has revealed his true nature, the nature of his lineage, that being depravity and selfish lust for power. And then in that moment, Mephrates, the dark, twisted avatar of justice, can inflict his final judgment upon this dark creature drop mic this is fun i got one too <laughs> <laughs> go for it moses roll, roll okay. it man okay um so mofredes comes in in his disguise right and he tests the king because you had a question about how to foreshadow the poisoning right um he asked so, here's what i'm thinking somehow mofredes has this sense of is this king going to take care of his family like he should? And he wants to come and test him to find out if he's going to do it or not. So he comes, and maybe the king has a child who's been, who was ill recently or something like that. Mephrates could offer some sort of healing, some sort of medicine, something, uh, you know, something that is going to help the child. And it's too expensive. Or uh, in some way, the king is not willing to pay the price that the emissary, you know, at that point uh, wants him to spend. Uh, and that's part of Mufredi's tricking the king into, okay, you really are a piece of crap, and I'm coming for you. <laughs> and it allows the king to say, uh, I think he's fine. All kids get sick. There's no, I, the kingdom is short on funds. We need to build the walls. We need to blah, blah, blah. And so he doesn't, he's not willing to spend money on his kid or his family or something like that. And that could be the trick. That could be what Mufredi's uses to trick him. Um, and that may be the, the trap that Mufredi sets for the king. It's like, oh, I knew you weren't going to want to help your kid, you bastard. You know? And then he's got a reason for that. He's got a reason for hating him for not being willing to do that, which is going to be twisted considering that Mufredi's is a twisted guy. But there's something in his past that bothered the crap out of him. Maybe someone in his life wasn't there for him you know, back in the day. And so you know, he hears about this king, and this king he hears is a real jerk and he's like i'm gonna go after that king because you know i had there was a king who was a jerk once who killed me or my family or you know did something horrible to to, to my sphere of influence uh so he's he, he sees the king perhaps as someone to mess with because he reminds him of the guy that he hated you know a long time ago drops mike drops mike bam i'm just gonna draw my mic i don't have anything to say <laughs> got nothing. i want to be part of the crowd <laughs> you're an iconoclast tim you always have been <laughs> 
Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. All right, Rob, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you were really hoping we would in this, in this workshop? Um, any other, I guess this would be just the last one. Um, any other ideas that you would have for world building this place out a little more, just adding some more meat to the, to the bones on this, this world that all of these events are taking place in any recommendations for that? Tim, what do you got? Anything? Uh, for me, it really depends on the uh, again on the focus. If you're focusing yeah. on the king and that and that personal battle, I think uh, your world building is is mostly wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what you're going to want to do is build up the uh, the relationships between your people. Um, this, from what I see, is it needs to be strong on characterization rather than world building. Right. You don't have that kind of space for for all these fantastical ideas. You know, uh, if you're going to build it into a bigger world, that's fine. Throw some of it in there, um, in the interactions, in the in the uh, flashbacks to what happened to these other uh, cities that were destroyed. You can throw some of the detail in there. Um, Again, it really depends on what you want to do with it. If you're if you're looking at a short story, uh, most of that is not going to be in there, uh, and I wouldn't put it in. I mean, mind you, stylistically, um, I'm very terse in my writing, anyways, so um, I may be going against the grain here. But I I think too much of that pulls away from the characterization, and and the focus that should be the 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 character interactions here. Yeah, I think um, you you can try to make the setting information as uh, as much as a part of the story as possible, so that there is something interesting there. I I would say focus on at least just one thing in terms of setting. You know, maybe maybe there's a whole lot going on about the stars, or a whole lot going on about the rift. Or I, I would say pick something that you think is very cool that you are inspired by that you think your readers will also think is cool. For example, in in my work, the Black Gods War. I noticed that readers really liked the gods. They really liked my 10 gods who are reminiscent of Greek and Roman gods and things like this. And that's even just if I had just focused on that for for a story, you know, you want something that is cool. You want something that people like to read. So I, I agree with Tim. You're not going to have a lot of time for it. But if it's if it's just, you know, so much a part of the world that you can't tell the story without talking about, you know, the wasteland of blah, 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 being surrounded, you know, surrounding the castle or whatever. Um, you know, m- put something interesting in the setting, but just don't make the, the short story about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that was very much my thought. Is you know, absolutely put some detail into it, build your world, but don't, you know, don't don't sit down and and worry about all the all you know the, the tides and the and the maps exactly and 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 what this village is you know what they're prime directive is what you know what they build or what they do you know none of that kind of stuff yeah you know yeah. more visualization than anything well and I, gotcha. I, would, it, I it is it is cool when the setting is like a character and it's not and it can be subtle yeah well and and i'm i'm a big fan of the metaphor rob so so the issues that that you evolve and discover about Sarek, about Mephredes, and about the the supporting cast that you have. If if there is something that needs to be accentuated about them, then you can have something in the world that illustrates that. Uh, an event, uh, okay. a, a race, uh, a place, whatever. Uh, and, and you don't need to go into huge detail. I mean, you can go ahead and say, yes, and, and the four-winged uh, eagles of, of Mulan Thar uh, uh, descended and, and 
boom, that's all you need to know. We don't need to know the history of the four winged eagles of Molinthar. Uh, uh, but throwing that in there and having it be relevant to uh, a prophecy or, or something like that, that then inspires and sparks something that ties it into the story without requiring a lot of world building. So, like Moses was saying earlier about the stars, uh, this is an opportunity for that as well. You 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 have these characters interacting with the stars. You can see there might be some sort of festival or some sort of um, something going on that that relates to this rift. Maybe they don't understand it. Maybe they're doing it wrong. You know, but that could help your visualization. Something going on at that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well. Gentlemen, I'm looking at the clock and, and time is running out. So let's take one last quick turn around the table. Give Rob any last minute thoughts, some some words of wisdom, something to fill his pockets with some literary gold and send him on his way. Tim, we'll start off with you. Last last words of encouragement and hope for good master Rob. You know, I, I think you've got a great foundation here. I think you've got a lot of ideas and with, with everything that's that's been said. Uh, here tonight there's a lot of ways you can take this story ultimately i think it'll be on you to decide how you want this this story to come across if you want it to be that selfish character you're really going to have to focus on that if you want to overcome that character's um stink (laughs) as we've kind of gone through (laughs) you know then 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 that's that's going to be your focus. I think ultimately what you need to do is sit down and write out a, a single line, a single sentence of of story idea. You know, Joe Blow wants to do this. You know, you 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 want to make it succinct. You want to get it to the point where you know exactly what, what you want to do with this story. At that point, the rest of it will flow. Yeah. Good advice. Moses so I want to go back to the idea of, you know, is does the king have redeemable qualities or not? And I think you can do this different ways. Uh, you don't ha- he doesn't have to have them. Was, but at that point, he's, you know, he's a real bastard, obviously. <laughs> There's nothing redeemable about him. Um, and I, I do think, I, I, yeah, it's just my feeling that the m- more nasty your character is and the less redeemable, sympathetic sort of qualities he has, the better writer you have to be to do that well. Because it's it's easier to read, you know, the sympathetic character. Naturally, it's just something that we, the reader identifies with the character as they're reading. They almost want to put themselves in that character's shoes. Um, Grimdark obviously kind of is a twist on that on that whole theme because a lot of Grimdark readers don't mind being in the shoes of someone who is a real bastard, right? And that's <laughs> right. a lot of what the genre yes. is. Um, nonetheless, you'd still have to be a really darn good writer. And I'll use Mark Lawrence as one example, right? I mean, he's got his his nasty protagonist, but... The voice. I, I always think you study Mark Lawrence to see the voice on just how he captured such a nasty guy, <laughs> you know, but with such voice, such character that he's compelling and, and he's interesting and he's all these things. Um, but see, you've got to be able to write real nice and smooth and beautiful and just get in his head and just have a voice. Is, voice is, is one of those things we acquire as we write, I think, you know, and we find it over time. Um, I think you have to assess yourself and say, how good of a writer am I, am I today? If, I, if you feel like you are a good writer, you're ready to tackle something ambitious, then you don't even have to give them a redeemable quality. But it, it may be safer, uh, especially if you don't feel like you have a ton of experience. Uh, maybe you do. I think you do. You know, uh, But if you, let's say you, you come to that conclusion, then you go, well, okay, he's going to be kind of a bastard, but we'll give him some redeemable qualities so that you know, that, that way if I'm not uh, able to sell all the nasty stuff, there's still something else for the reader to go, well, okay, at least he likes his dog or something like that. So okay. I think that's an, that's an interesting decision you have to make. Um, and I think it comes down a little bit to where you're at as a writer. 
Right, right. Cool, cool. Yeah. And and I will definitely launch off of Moses's observation and, and say, you know, Rob, maybe reading reading the works of people who have crafted similar tales. Uh, and, and, you know, God, Michael Sullivan spent years writing stories in the in the in the style of his favorite authors of really good authors like Stephen King and, and John Updike and so on. So, you know, maybe actually using this as an exercise to emulate some of your favorite authors might be a way to start articulating your your own unique authorial voice. Sure. So, that's just a thought. My my suggestion, Rob, is that that I think the key not just to grimdark but also to to any good story is going to be the relationships. And I think in the cast that you've defined here, you've got your primary POV of Sarek. You've got a connection to family with the queen. You've got the connection to uh, uh, political power and authority through Captain Ulf. You've got a connection, a relationship with uh, spirituality uh, uh, through Elder Ganon. And you've got this connection to, to I'm not sure what it is, soul uh, 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 regret, honor, I'm not sure, but something with Mofrates. And by exploring those relationships, by, by crystallizing those relationships and, and realizing that all four of these individuals are reflections in some way, shape, or form of Sarek's strengths and weaknesses, then the way, once you set that up and then push the ball over the edge and start it rolling down towards its, inevit- its inevitable conclusion, then I think there will be a certain clarity that comes to you on that. But definitely the polarity between Sarek and Mofrates, I think that's something to explore. Uh, and again, that's that's just me. So so there it is. That's that's the workshop as it stands right now. Now, Rob, here's the deal. Uh, uh, as as with all our, our courageous guest writers, uh, you go out, you write this thing, you publish it, and we don't care how you publish it. You can go ahead and self-pub on Amazon. You can get a, a, a small pub, a trad pub. You can put it as a PDF up on your website, but finish it, put it out in the world, and yeah. we will bring you back, and we will knight you. We will make you a knight of the round table and there will be dark gongs. There will be black fires. There will be blood revealing around. You will be a dark knight. You'll be the dark knight of the round table. <laughs> I love it. I want to be the first black knight. Absolutely. The it shall be so. That's that's the carrot, man. That's the prize on the table. Ah, awesome. Tim Markwitz, thank you so very much for your for your insight, for your for your diving in and and just getting getting dirty with the with the rest of us as we as we workshopped this incredible tale by Rob. We really appreciate it, man. Thank you all very much. I, I'm honored to be here. Glad uh, to do it. It was good times. Good times. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Our listeners, like you guys, had a real treat having you know Tim on the, sh- on the show for two weeks here. And uh, if you if you haven't read his works yet, I hope you'll. Uh, Find out real soon that yeah, this was a real treat to have him on the show because Tim was a, Tim is a hell of a writer, and so uh, we want to send you know you guys off to find someone cool and new to read, and that I, I believe he's a good place to start, especially if you liked you know the fast paced stuff. I mean, Tim is really terse in a really beautiful way, like really he says he's terse, but he's not just terse. He's also uh, he's also got a real real way with language. So um, yeah, thanks for being on, Tim. Yeah, thank you very much, and, and I apologize to everybody who goes out and reads my books and find out just how much Moses is lying right now. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, thank you. Hey, well, I tell I tell you what, if they read, I know for sure if they read the Neverland's library story, they are not going to disagree with me. Well, you know. <laughs> 
you know, that's what I think. There we go. Oh, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. And, and you know, going out and reading new authors, I think, is, is, is a valuable, valuable skill. So uh, for any writer, for, for any fan, by all means. So, so friends, there it is. Uh, yet another round table podcast workshop brainstorm complete. Uh, now, if if you if you're feeling if you're feeling the love, you're feeling the vibe, uh, and you're going, God, this is awesome. There are a number of ways you can help us out. Uh, you can go out to iTunes. You can go ahead and throw up a nice review up there, or you know, go ahead, give it, tell us what you think. We can take it. Uh, uh, but definitely putting, putting your thoughts up there on iTunes helps us immensely. And we'd love to hear back from you on that. We do have a forum now, uh, uh, and we'll have this episode posted up there. So if you have other ideas for master Rob, uh, feel free to get up there and we can continue the brainstorming offline online, which is kind of weird but you can do that because this is cyberspace uh if you want to be a, a guest writer on the round table and i'll tell you the queue is filling up quick but uh you can go to our website www.roundtablepodcast.com and at the top of the page there's a link that says be a guest click that bad boy fill out the form you will get in the queue Ah, moses thank you so much man for being my wingman for this episode once again it was a genuine pleasure it was so much fun. Thank you, Dave. Yes, indeed. And we'll all be looking for that uh, Kickstarter when it rolls up. Let us know when that is, and we will we will shout it from the highest rooftops. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, in a week, we're not done. This is going to start all over again. We're going to have another awesome guest host, another courageous, bold guest writer coming on with a story idea to workshop. But that's a week away. So, holy smokes, Moses, what should our listeners be doing for a week, man. Find the most inspirational work you have ever read on how to, uh, on writing. Something that, you know, whether it was a book, whether it was an article, whether it was a poet, you know, a bit of poetry, uh, something that inspired you to be a writer, something that inspires you as a writer, and uh, start reading that again. Dude, that's awesome. Absolutely. I, I, it's uh, uh, Writing the Bones for me uh, was the book that, that totally, uh, transformed my way of looking at things. That's awesome. Indeed. And, and I will say, dear friends, as always, you find what you're looking for. So look for the top shelf blue label goodness, settle for nothing less. And I promise you, if you look for it, you will find it. We'll be back in a week until then you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Aloha. This episode is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable Podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. 
Thanks for listening.